Hello and welcome to that Blind Lads podcast. Um, today I have a very special guest and he is the football finance expert at Liverpool University and that is Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grand, thanks very much, Jamie. Uh, starting to get used to the uh, the season kicking off again and uh, hoping to get to some matches, same as everybody else, I suspect. Yeah. Are you, are you excited for Brighton or is it like a hesitant kind of feeling? Um, it, it it would it would be nice to not be worrying about relegation by February or March, but uh, yeah, this the season we, we we played two matches. Uh, we 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 were up, we were pretty decent against Chelsea, although the result doesn't suggest that. And we were we were very good against Pompey last night. So mm. uh, I think I, I think all fans start the season with a degree of of hope. Sometimes that hope is not uh, is yeah. not realistic, but. Uh, at, at present, I'm trying to be positive. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so today we're just going to be talking about how you basically got to where you are now, really. And I suppose the best way to start is right at the beginning. So, where did it all start for you in your childhood? Um. Well, I uh, I, I, I sort of grew up in a variety of places, but uh, I sort of I was at a place called Chelmsford in the uh, late late sixties, and my dad wasn't interested in football. So, sort of from about the age of seven, because uh, you could do that in those days. I, I used to go to non-league football by myself and just stand on a. It, it sounds terribly cliched. Uh, I'd just go and stand on a milk crate um, and, and watch non-league football. And, and I remember, I think in nineteen seventy-one, we won the Southern Premier League, uh, as it was the equivalent of the National League, mm. uh, and, and we were one place ahead of Hereford. But Hereford got voted into the Football League that season on, on the basis of beating Newcastle in the FA Cup. And that was a very famous mm. match. So uh, we, we then moved to Brighton. So the logical thing was to get on a get on a bus or get a lift from a neighbour and, and go and watch uh, Brighton play at the at the Goldstone ground. So, and yeah, that, that's where my affection for the club grew. Um, mm. How old were you then when you moved to Brighton? Uh, I was 11. 11. So you know, to, to actually go to to see big football, as it was, yeah. compared to non-league. Uh, I, I'd, be, I'd been to a couple of m- matches with my uncle. He was a West Ham fan. But my mum my mom wasn't keen on letting me go with him because <laughs> he was he was probably about 15 years older than me. And, you know, sort of like late, late 60s, early 70s, being a West Ham fan was was quite a lively existence. So, <laughs> so my mum wasn't keen. And my other mom, my other uncle was a Millwall fan, and that was even worse. So, uh, so, so I, ended, I, I could have ended up supporting any of those clubs because, you know, I was born in London. Mm. Uh, I guess uh, going to Brighton and at the time, they were a club that was probably punching above its weight in, in terms of the amount of attention they used to get because Clough, Clough had been there, Peter Taylor, Alan Mullery, all, all high-profile managers. Uh, and, and it was a quite, a, quite, a, quite a glamorous time to be a Brighton fan as, as we sort of shot through the divisions. And yeah. I, I, remember, I remember seeing us not get promoted in 1978 when we had to win and Southampton and Spurs were playing on the same day. And if they drew, both of them got promoted and we didn't. And, and they, they played out this nil-nil draw, which yeah. uh, Brighton fans have never forgotten. Uh, it's, one of the, uh, it's one of those, I think, and it just sticks with the fan base for years and years. Well, well fo- fo- yeah, football fans know how to hold a grudge. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. So, 
um obviously in your childhood and teenagers what was what was your like during primary or secondary school or whatever you want to call it what was your yourself like and what were your aspirations I suppose you could say when you was a kid um I I, I wanted to be a train driver Okay. I remember. I remember. I remember when I was told that I was colourblind and I couldn't drive a train. I went home and cried me to cried my <laughs> eyes out. Um, I, I, I never had any aspirations work-wise, and, and I probably still don't. Um, uh, yeah, the reason the reason I went to university because you know university was still relatively unusual. Uh, sort of you know late seventies, the start of the eighties. Mm. It, it was only just starting to expand. Uh, was I, I didn't want to work for a living, so university was was a way of avoiding making a, div, a, a decision. So, so at school, I, it's just a case of um, try, trying to keep my head down and out of trouble. The part that was a problem because with a name like mine, we have a very Irish name. Yeah. Whenever there was uh, another IRA atrocity, it, it meant that you got targeted and got a severe kicking the following day. So I, I just used to keep myself to myself and try to keep away from uh, uh, various groups of uh, of uh, of other lads. I don't blame you, to be honest. It's probably a difficult time by the sounds of it. It's just... It's just... And you know, it's kind of the same, I guess, now, but with different ethnicities and and what have you. Um, yeah. So, what, so what, what would you say your, your actual school life was like? Was it, was you, you know, you said you were trying to just keep yourself to yourself. Did you just, you just get on with it and just not really, you know, entertain anything different? Or was it just purely just work and get out? Yeah, I, 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 was, I, I love school. Uh, The reason why I'm still in education is I I love the thought of education. I was Mm. fascinated by history. I was reasonably, uh, I I was reasonably good uh, as as a student and just used to get on with it. But uh, I I never, I I, I never strove for anything and and I still don't because that would involve hard work. And and the the thought of hard work sort of brings me out in a cold sweat. I, I normally sort of worked out how much, what's the bare minimum to get me to the next level, whether that was, O levels to A levels or A levels to a degree or degree to a job and, and just try to work out and, and just make sure that I just just on the right side of that line. Mm. So moving on into, you know, leaving school and going into uni, was from what you wanted to get from school, did you get? And was it fairly straightforward to go to university for yourself? Um, y- y- yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, school, school was great. I mean, I, uh, I, I still pop by the school uh, these days just just because it, it does have such great memories. You, you, you made friends. I, I, I still go to matches now in you know 2020 with the with some of the same lads that I went to in matches in you know in in the mid 70s. So wow. you, you do build up that that relationship and friendship and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, yes, school. I, I I never had a problem with school. I, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a good sportsman. <laughs> Um, coming from an Irish family, I, I, I wanted to play cricket, but we, we didn't really have the, the resources as, as a family to, to allow me to, to sort of mm. buy things. So when, when I got my paper round, sort of the first thing I bought was a cricket bat and then a set of whites because my mum would, wouldn't say, well, what's what's the point of having a pair of white trousers when you can't wear them seven days a week? Because <laughs> we simply didn't have the money to you know, go, mum, this, this is what the, this, we're in England now, you're not in Ireland. Yeah. Um, uh, so I... I, I I remember sort of I, I paid myself to get coat for coaching at, 
at uh, cricket. So I was, I was, I was a better cricketer than I ever was a footballer. Mm. Um, and sort of, I got as far as being invited along to to Sussex County for. Oh, I, I think I think trials is probably putting too big a word of it, but they, <laughs> they you know sort of the they they used to in you know bring bring some of the local kids who'd shown a bit of promise along schoolboys type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the, and and then I realised I, I was completely out of my depth <laughs> because it, 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 it I it, I'd had to take two buses to get there, yeah. and <clears throat> I had the cheapest bat and the the pads, which were sort of made out of old bamboo, and I was up against all the posh kids from the posh school. <laughs> so uh, I, I realised that it, you know, that that was going to be as far as it as it went. But uh, it was, school was good. Sixth form was fantastic. Mm. Because it was around the time of the punk movement, and okay. sort of you're you, you're developing those those tastes in music, which which still still stay with me today. So, was you involved um, in? Would you would you would you have considered yourself a punk at the time? Um. Well, yeah, but I was I was t- I, I, I'd, I I'd a fearsome Irish mother, so <laughs> I'd, I'd go to all the gigs, but I wouldn't dress. Yeah, yeah. In in the gear, um, yeah. So. Brighton was a was a really good uh, town to be in because it was it was on the circuit, so yeah, you'd see all, all the bands. So, mm. you, uh, and and it was cheap to go to gigs in those days. Yeah, didn't cost uh, you an it, arm. It, 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 that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's it's not like it is today, um, and, and that sort of continued into university. I, I remember sort of going to university, and I think the first the first four weeks I saw you two, the cure Adam and the ants and the fall. And that was, it was just sheer heaven from my point of view. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So going into university, what what did you do in university? Um, I I did, I did economics uh, at Manchester. So it's, it's kind of led the way to what you now do kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I, I did it because I, I enjoyed economics at A level, and uh, it was it was three the, the three best years of your life. Yes, certainly. Mm. Uh, sort of in in terms of for the first time in your life, it's sort of the, the change of being independent. But it's a bit like being being able to ride a bicycle with stabilizers for the first time. Yeah, you still did go back, and well, yeah, my mum would give me food parcels and do my washing for me. But when I sort of turn up every sort of four or six weeks yeah um yeah it was it was it was a wonderful what wonderful life uh, and going to manchester university again it was so, so you know relatively so cheap that i'd i'd go to old trafford one week uh, main yeah. road the next and if brighton were playing an away game that wasn't too far away i'd hop on a train and go and watch them so it was it was non-stop football and non-stop music <laughs> um was it was it easier for you to make that decision to go from obviously being in the south in Brighton all the way up to Manchester? Yeah, yeah. For, uh, I, mean, I, I had the. I probably could have gone to a slightly more prestigious university, but for me, it was my, my, my life was football and music. My my, my life still is football and music yeah. uh, in terms of the, the sort of the main the, the main drivers of of mm. you know, social time. Um, the Manchester music scene was was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, at, at that time, you, you had you had bands like The Fall uh, around and uh, Joy Division, of course, at that time as well. So it was it was it was a no brainer. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd heard so much about the Manchester music scene. I just wanted to go there. Um, 
it's very much a, a hot spot for music and football, and still is now, isn't it? Really, it's it's where a lot of a lot of the you know, your famous bands and singers and artists, as well as some of the best football players in the world, just happen to be over the past thirty, forty years. Yeah, yeah, certainly, um, and. Don't regret me. I'll, I've lived most of my life in Manchester as a result of that. Uh, mm. It's uh, it's it, it's a great place. It's a cosmopolitan city. It's yeah. uh, it's it's still true to its working class roots. Uh, it's it's a fantastic place. Yeah. So leaving, uh, coming out of university, what what was your your Germany plans then, or was it kind of just like whatever comes your way, you're just gonna have a go at kind of thing. Well, yeah, it, it was a bit bit weird because I, I graduated in 1983, and there, Brighton had got to the FA Cup final that year. So I sort of, I, to a certain extent, I I messed up my degree because we uh, we drew in in the uh, we drew against Manchester United two two, and in those days, used to have replays for the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, and this was sort of late. This was late May, so of course in the middle of university final exams. Um, and rather foolishly, I decided to stay down in Brighton, go and watch the players train every day before the replay, and did no, no work. And we, we replayed <laughs> on the Thursday night at Wembley, uh, lost four nil to United, and then I caught the overnight train back up to Manchester. It was the, the old postal train. It was, of course, it was full of United fans, and, and I had exams all day Friday. So I, was, <laughs> you know, I got back to Manchester about six o'clock in the morning, oh. went home, picked up my calculator and pencil case, and wandered in, and and you know, didn't do particularly well, uh, <laughs> and uh, yet yeah, regretted it ever since. But um, there, there weren't many jobs around, so so I, I ended up um, I, I ended up initially. Uh, as, as the manager of, of, a, of a sex shop in Brighton, because I couldn't okay. get a, a graduate job, but I uh, I couldn't I couldn't tell my mum what I was doing because <laughs> it would it have brought shame on the family. So yeah. I, I used to tell her I was going out to work, or rather, I was going out looking for work or signing on and or, or going to the cricket, and she had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, and, and I somehow managed to get an interview for a firm of accountants and. and uh, Got take got taken on by them, but that involved taking a fifty percent pay cut, mm. uh, which was uh, so. I, I, I started off on, uh, I think I was on seventy eight pounds a week as a trainee chartered accountant. Which, it, uh, how did that? How did the shop job come about? Is that just something you just kind of saw applied for it, and you just happened to get it? A, a, a mate of mine, mate, a mate of mine, you, was was the manager there, and, and he was going off. Uh, he was going off for the summer. He was going off backpacking. So he said, Do "You fancy doing it? It's it's easy money," <laughs> and uh, so so I ended up doing that, and and that was it was it was again it it, it was a learning experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, wasn't wasn't quite I think what university had prepared me for, or <laughs> I don't think it quite prepared me for becoming a chartered accountant either. But as uh, uh, as, as unusual places to put on your CV, and I don't tend to put it on my CV <laughs> um, when I'm applying for jobs these days. Uh, it was uh, it was different. Yeah, especially not now. As people know you now, as obviously the you know a football finance person, and they're not expecting to see a shop of that nature on your CV. I suppose it's shock a few people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't think that. I, I hope people don't know who I am because <laughs> there's, there's another Maguire that goes around saying recently, do you know who I am to greet policemen? Which, uh, <laughs> yeah. brought, brought shame on the family name. Uh, uh, yeah. can imagine, yeah. 
So leaving, obviously, you got, you got your first job in um, being an accountant. Was that, was that, did that kind of stick with you throughout your twenties, or did you kind of switch between different titles and what have you? Um, I, I did that for. I mean, I, I, that that was back in Brighton uh, for a year, and, and then I managed to get a, a move back up to Manchester because I missed the music scene, and I didn't want to be living with my mum and dad. You know, all the type of things you do when yeah. in your early twenties. So. Mm-hmm. I just I just used that, passed my exams, get, yeah, get another qualification. Uh, and I, I did about another two or three more years of that, uh, specialising in uh, administrations, which, given the, yeah. the state of the football market today, probably is, does does me no harm in, in being able to sort of, you know, cast an eye on, on what's happening. Mm. Uh, but I, I, as I said to you earlier, I, I love school. I, I loved university. And I, I just thought, well... I don't. I don't want to be wearing a suit for the rest of my life. I don't want to be filling in timesheets and things of that nature. So, no. so I, I went into to teaching and I taught in Manchester for, uh, well, twenty twenty five years. Yeah. yeah. So that I remember you. You mentioned a few times on your on your prize football podcast that you go you was in the administration section, if you want to call it that. And it's it wasn't. How would you describe that? being in that kind of interest is quite a ruthless it it, it is I, I i think i think i think i learned a lot mm. uh, you have to learn the hard way um you, you're dealing with people in distress situations uh you've got to develop negotiation skills you've got to be become persuasive you've got to treat people honestly and fairly as well to get the best out of them so i, mm. I think i learned quite a lot from that uh even though i'm i'm inherently not the right person to do that type of stuff because mm. uh i'm i'm quite yeah people would describe me as de- just being dead soft uh <laughs> if, if if i know that this company is not going to survive and therefore i'm going to have to be making dozens of people redundant in a few days yeah i wouldn't sleep at night and it just yeah and and, and it's not that I'm I'm a good guy and the people that do the job are bad guys or anything like that. Because if you look at a surgeon, you know, you know, a, can, a cancer specialist, he, he, you know, you know that fifty percent of the per, people that that you know that incredible doctor is going to deal with is potentially going to die from horrendous diseases. But they still they, they manage to detach themselves from the job, um, and you know, they're, they're my heroes in many regards. But I yeah. I just didn't fancy doing that on a long term basis, and uh, so you know. As, as 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 I am regularly reminded, those those that can do, uh, those that can't teach, and and those that can't teach invent subjects like football finance to teach to to cover for their lack of ability to do the job properly. I suppose it takes, like you said, like a, 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 a lot of jobs. It takes a a special kind of person to be able to just separate their job from their that personal life and be able to just get on with the job without it affecting you in any way. And sometimes people like yourself and probably me as well just just wouldn't wouldn't go well i suppose yeah 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 and there's you know we, we've all got skill sets um, yeah and that that simply wasn't mine but uh in, in terms of the the variety of industries that i got to work with you know, travel industry certainly the leisure industry lots of pubs and clubs in in the manchester and liverpool and about the whole of the northwest mm. Double glazing companies, you know the the full the full range of lunacy, including yeah. you know, the old the old football club where you do an investigation, but they'd never go. The the 
um, the the banks were very reluctant in sort of the the eighties to put clubs into administration because that uh, they feared that the the, the the fans would go and put the bricks out and get the bricks out and put them through the windows of the local branch and, and they probably would have done yeah um, but yeah I, I've I, I, it it helped me to get an understanding as to what works in business and what what doesn't and yeah. ultimately it, it comes down to the quality of management and and the way that that people uh interact and communicate and deal with others and, and that's mm. that's a, that's the most important thing definitely yeah so what what would you say would you say there's any in like kind of those first 15 20 years of leaving uni was there any highlights so to speak that kind of stuck out that you'd say that like kind of a an important part that you, you look back on and think that was, you know, made a difference to you or how you see things. Um, I, I, I guess realizing that it, it's not the title of the job; it's the person that matters, mm. and not to prejudge things so you you, i'd go into work i'd I'd go in and i'd be talking to somebody who might be twice my age who was a managing director of this that company and and i'm effectively having to tell them i'm going to be running it from now on on a day-to-day basis that um so saving companies was always a good one you know the the sense of achievement and uh, that the sense of doing a job well done and people coming up to you and saying thanks for making that as bearable as it could have been because yeah. you, as soon as you're appointed in, in, as an administrator what you do is that you have to talk to the employees you've got to be you've got to be straight with them so there's no guarantees in terms of jobs if you get offers from elsewhere yeah we'd like you to stay but we fully understand we'll be as flexible with you as we can um but selling the company on so that somebody else could take it on, and some, and, all, and I know that some of those companies still exist uh, today. Uh, yeah, there was there was a sense of sort of dealing. I, I, you know, there, there is no way that this can be comparable to to the works of surgeons and, and people yeah, yeah. that work in the medical side. But you you are saving a company from becoming itself dead. Um, yeah, and that that was quite good, and that was that was normally down to the, the people you manage to persuade to, to buy into the, the company. So mm. uh, I, I think I think I learned a lot about people management. And I think um, especially those days. at that level as well, obviously, it's not just the company. You know, there's, there's people in that company, their job, people on, you know, not much pay. And if that company goes bust or whatever, then people lose their jobs and that could just kind of expired into loads of different other problems personally for those kind of people so you kind of got people's livelihoods in your hands sort of thing yeah it was a sense of responsibility and and they were they were perfectly entitled to be angry Hmm. uh, a lot of them and the fact that they weren't angry with me was something i was always (laughs) grateful for yeah (laughs) because uh, (laughs) yeah they 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 yeah, when people become anxious, you know, the adrenaline flows. Um, but ev- everybody tended to be very reasonable, very fair as far as the staff were concerned. Some mm-hmm. of the people running these companies were absolute Shylocks and scumbags. Yeah. Um, and, and and we see that in the football industry, sadly, too often. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what? Speaking of football, what what was your first? Um, what was your first encounter in the football industry, like on a slightly high you know profile level kind of thing 
Um, well, I, I, I was teaching at, I've I gone to uh, Manchester Metropolitan University, so that's where I was teaching. And I used to do uh, some, some they, they, they managed to get me involved in doing the local cable channel, doing the business reviews for mm -hmm. them. Um, and then the day that the Glazers took over Manchester United, and there was all this talk about uh, a leverage buyout deal and things of this nature, they, quite quite a few. I think the BBC and, and the local channels phoned up the university and said, "Can anybody explain this?" Uh, and the university press office says, "Well, this we've got this idiot who who seems to, who, who seems to try to use uh, you know, instead of teaching my normal stuff, I always used to go and talk about United and City because." Yeah. It, if, if, if you're if you're teaching at nine o'clock on a Monday morning to a group of students, let's face it, they're hungover. They don't want to be there. No. So I always found make it make it of interest to them. And, and you know what what's the major driver in Manchester? Yeah, you know, it, it's it, Manchester's a a football city, as is Liverpool. Um, so the university press office put me in contact, or put the the broadcasters in contact with me, and, and I think that's when I did my first ever uh, interviews explaining sort of what had happened in respect of Manchester United. And and then what sort of slowly happens is that yeah, and I hate I hate being called an expert because I, I don't consider myself to be an expert. I don't want to know what an expert is. Um but as if, if if you manage to explain something to to somebody from the media, you, you go into their you go into in, into their contacts book and yeah. the next time a story breaks in relation to football so you think about uh you, you know what happened with when manchester city were taken over by mansoor um then and yeah there's plenty of other news taking place um but that th th those tended to be the, the type of issues um and, and i was sort of thinking well yeah I, I wish i could just do a bit more football yeah and and somehow um, I'm not quite sure how, how word travels, but the, the University of Liverpool, they actually have a football MBA course. And I'd always looked at it and thought, wow, yeah, that would be, for me, that, that would be a, pretty much a high watermark if I could get onto something like that. But they're, they're not going to employ somebody like me because um, yeah, I'm, I'm not of a high enough calibre. I've, I've, not, I've not got a PhD. I've not got a master's. Um, I, I even failed my English O level. Uh, you know, I've, I've not got any football finance qualifications as such. No. So, you know, why would they? And, and then, then they they contacted me out of the blue and said, yeah, there could be could be a role here, um, which would involve sort of probably, you know, two thirds, three quarters of the job being your, your regular teaching, but there'd be a bit of football. Do you, do you fancy it? And I just said, I just said, yeah, I'd absolutely love to. Mm. Um, and that was seven, seven or eight years ago now. Um, and on the back of that, because the University of Liverpool has a higher profile in terms of being a football MBA university, um, the sort of the, the media work started to become, instead of once every six months, it started to become a trickle. And now it's sort of become a flood. I mean, I've done 600 media interviews so wow. far this year. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we're talking at, uh, yeah, what, just gone one o'clock on, on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, and I started this morning at seven o'clock. It was Radio Shropshire, Radio Humberside, Radio Wales. I've got Radio <laughs> Surrey booked in as well. Um, 
and you it it, it has sort of over over taken over my life and i think that was sort of on on the back of liverpool being foolish enough to offer me a job and then <laughs> then i started the blog and then i started t- tweeting um and the only reason why i started the blog was the person who who i regard as the number one person in football finance and that's that's uh kieran o'connor the swiss ramble on on oh, twitter yeah. uh he he used to do a blog and, and then he stopped yeah he, he stopped blogging and i think he's he, he just uses twitter exclusively so i thought well there's a there's a gap in the market there um and, and the stuff i was trying to teach my students in terms of can you can you turn these numbers into a story or can you identify the story behind the numbers? I thought, well, it's, it's no point me sort of telling them how it should be done. Why not practice what I preach? And I started to, to, to work on the, the price of football website, which, which now doesn't get very much of my attention because I, I'd spend, I'd, I'd, if, if I had enough hours in the day, I'd do it, but it, it's, it's uh, with sort of the media demands yeah, um, and the university sort of pushing me into more of a public engagement role. Uh, it, it's just a case of trying to find the time to do it. But I, I love, I love writing. Yeah. About football finance. Um, probably the only person in the country that, that can say that with a straight <laughs> face. Um, and uh, I, I will try to get back to it. So would you say that getting that particular role at Liverpool University kind of, that was obviously you, you've got your, your your full-time job of you know finance add together with football. So a lot of people's kind of dream job, I suppose you could say, that's something that they absolutely love alongside their daytime job put together, and that's it. You kind of live in the best of two worlds, kind of thing. Yes, yes, because I mean, the, now the, I, I teach almost exclusively football finance. Yeah, um, and. Uh, it allows me to focus on that, but I, I do get, um, I, I do get a lot of emails about people advising me on how to get into the industry. And I said, "Well, hold on, you know, I, I don't work in the industry. I, I, in fact, I try to keep arm's length from the football industry because I think the, the only way that you can be um, an independent analyst and observer is to uh, not go inside the tent." Mm-hmm um so that that means that some some of the football authorities aren't too keen on me but uh yeah i i'm I'm, re- I'm regularly getting emails and i try to answer everyone because i think i've got a responsibility to do so working in education to, to help people as much as you can yeah um how do you get a break and, and it's it's a tough industry to break into because that football is actually a very small industry if you think about it there's there's, there's 92 clubs so there's 92 financial controller jobs in the whole of whole of the UK. Yeah. Many of those jobs will have been held by people for many years. Um, many of those jobs are not particularly well paid either because the vast majority of football clubs lose money. Yeah. Um, so I say to people, you know, taking that on board, you know, is is, is that genuinely what you want? Uh, because you also have to detach yourself from the football side of things. It's you, you are first and foremost somebody that's responsible for budgets, responsible for uh, negotiations from a financial perspective. And, and the fact that the person across the table might be a footballer or a football manager or a football agent surely is an irrelevance. Yeah. It, you're still dealing with, with an individual or, or a group of individuals. Yeah. Um, but, but it doesn't stop people wanting, uh, in fact, even, even today, 
uh, we've we've had an inquiry on, on the podcast itself for somebody who's actually offered to work for us for nothing. And we're going, <laughs> but we we can't we can't we don't make any money from it. Well, you know what it's like yourself running a podcast. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you're doing it for love, not money. Um, we, I'm not sure what we can give you back apart from something to put on your CV. But so so we'll see how that goes. But we'll, Fair play, uh, I suppose. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it, some some people are are quite inventive, and uh, but yeah, I, I, the last thing I want to do is is to pretend to anybody that the 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 uh, the, the, the the pavement of football is 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 a golden one. Uh, mm. If un, unless you are a very talented footballer, I mean, certainly some of the administrators in in football now make a lot of money. Yeah. You? That there's there's lots of chief executives of clubs who are on seven figure incomes, wow. and clearly, you know, lots of people b- will be aware of Daniel Levy at Spurs, yeah, you know, and his seven million pounds for delivering a uh, delivering a stadium late and uh, over budget, which is yeah, that's how to do it. And I suppose um, I'm, I think if I had to speak on the podcast, I think football has that special kind of connection with a lot of people. You know, because you, like I think you said before, if you speak to a, a group of students about finance and finance itself they were like nah it's just kind of foreign a seat and then you say well look at manchester united and the much money they're making or whatever and people all of a sudden just switch on and take note yeah it's, it's got that special kind of connection with a lot of people because obviously football is quite important in a lot of people's lives that, that's right i mean it's certainly what i found was if if I'm teaching on a regular finance course and I'll say, oh, you know, Mercedes Benz have just done this, or Ford, or Microsoft, yeah, isn't this a fascinating story? And I've got a load of students, and they'll just look at me and go, well, <laughs> and what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, impress me. Um, but if, if I say uh, Manchester United have been signing a few players recently. How do you think they've been signing them? And people go, well, they should just go and sign them. And I say, okay, well, let, let's take a look. You know, when when Sir Alex Ferguson uh, retired, Manchester United owed thirteen million pounds to other clubs for transfers. Mm. By the time we got to twenty eighteen, just five years later, that thirteen million pounds has become a quarter of a billion. Wow. Manchester United have been funding their investment in players on credit and because i now teach at the university of liverpool and yeah we, we have a lot lot of uh, local fans yeah. uh, you know who attract who who are either fans of liverpool therefore they come to the university of liverpool or or their or their their scousers themselves it's hold on we didn't know about this this is intrigue and i i've i i've got the course in finance in the country which is the easiest to teach because when I actually set students' work, they do, it. <laughs> uh, they do not see it as, oh, Jesus Christ, it's another 4,000-word assignment. Yeah. It's this gives me an opportunity to go and find things out about my club. Yeah. And this is going to allow me to tell my mates things that they didn't know. So all that I do, I, mean, I, I, you know, I, I, just, I just give these kids a toolkit and the quality of the work that they produce mm. – compared to so yeah, so I've been teaching in the world of finance for this is my fifth decade of teaching I started teaching in the 80s so I've got what 80s 90s noughties teenies and now 20s yeah uh, the, the quality of the work that I see is is amazing because people are putting their hearts into it as opposed to well, this is another module we've got to go and do this yeah. so I've, I've, I've I'm I, I've such an easy job 
yeah. uh, in in terms of teaching, uh, and it uh, it irritates, I think, some of my colleagues <laughs> who who have to work so much harder to get people to take an interest in the subject. I suppose that just proves that you know doing working in a shop just for the money is you kind of yeah, it's just another day of work. But when you involve somebody that someone's passionate about. They will just, like you say, put their heart into it and, and merge 99% of the time. The good results come from that. That's right. I mean, it's the same. If you, you know, most people in music shops are, are music fans. Yeah. Um, and most Liverpool is a football city. Very much. Uh, so, yeah. it's, it's a magnificent city as well. Uh, so I'm, I've, been, I've been very fortunate to, to spend my working life uh almost exclusively in, in Manchester and Liverpool, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So moving on, you come, obviously now you do the Price of Football podcast with um, Kevin Day. How did how did that partnership and the podcast itself come back? You said you had the website. Did it kind of just roll from that or? Um, well, I, I, I'd been toying with the idea of doing a podcast for a few years, but my my IT knowledge is is close to zero, um, which still which is still more than Kevin's. To be fair, <laughs> who is at zero? Uh, he he does have. He's not joking when he says on his podcast he still has to get uh, Ali, his his fantastic wife, to to set things up for him. Um, and I've 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 done a lot because I was because uh, I've lived in Manchester most of my life. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not too far away from Media City. Oh, yeah. in, in Salford, where where BBC Five Live have their headquarters and BBC News, you know, the BBC Breakfast Show, that goes out from there, and you've got ITV Granada and, and so on. Um, uh, so I, I used to quite regularly go into Media City to do interviews, um, and there's a show there called Wake Up to Money on Five Live, which goes out at just past five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I sort of because I'm, 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 unfortunately, I'm, I'm irritatingly cheerful in the mornings. I'm not like <laughs> most people. So if they would say, "Do you want to do a phone interview at quarter to six? I say, "Well, I'll come into the studio. Yeah, if, if I, can, I can come into the studio, <laughs> I can drop, go drive to the university and, and get to work early." Yeah. So, I, so, so I used, I used to do that, and um, I, I was interviewed on a few occasions by there's, there's a few guys there but one of whom is called uh, Guy Kilty, who used to present the show or produce the show. Yeah. So I got to, I got to know sort of Guy just, just as a, you know, a bloke to chat to. Mm. And, and then out of the blue, he, he, he contacted me and said, well, I'm, I'm setting up a, a podcast production company. Um, I think football finance would be a really good idea. Mm. Um, do you fancy doing it? And I said, well, yes, but I've, I've got no equipment. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't know how to run a podcast. And, and, it, and if I'm truthful, I don't think it would work with just me talking about football because I, I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. I know I'm a nerd. You know, I, I am that person that never gets invited to parties. And, and, if, and if you are that way inclined and, and you know your strengths and limits, um, sometimes you, you've just got to acknowledge that what I might find interesting uh listeners wouldn't necessarily find interesting so i'm mm. you know, i'm I sort of I, I like the finance from the technical side of things and so on um so I, I just said to guy i think it would work in a better format if we managed to get somebody else involved who effectively takes on the role of the interviewer yeah um and yeah 
nobody's going to enroll on this show. <laughs> yeah, who, who's who's going to subscribe to something of this nature? Yeah, uh, we, we need to we need to go back to sort of if, if you you know think about the BBC's original charter and Lord Reith, and he said inform, educate, entertain. I said, well, yeah, I I can do the the educational part of things, mm. um, but we need some something more than entertainment and. Uh, he said, you know, we sort of we, we had a chat over lunch, and it was okay. Let's 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 find ourselves uh, a comedian because I mean, I, you know, if you if you think about the the Infinite Monkey Cage, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, that that works. You've got the academic and you've got the comedian, and Dara O'Brien works with Brian Cox on things. So, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, let, let's let's again let's just let's roll back. I am not. Uh, Professor Brian Cox. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a. <laughs> For I'm, I'm not an authority. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm, I'm just a nerd with football finance, and I, I know my place in 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 the in in, in the academic world. Um, so, at the time, uh, myself and my wife, we, we decided to move back to Sussex, mm. um, because our grand for our first grandchild had been born down there, and we wanted to be uh close sort of you know see, see the family grow up yeah, definitely, yeah. um so guy had suggested um one or two sort of comedians based in manchester hmm. i think justin morehouse was was his, oh, yeah. his first choice uh and, and you know i'm sure justin would have been great so well the, the only problem with this is if i'm moving back down uh you know close to brighton then we need somebody a bit closer and, and i i I, I knew of Kevin's work because Kevin, you know, been a presenter on Channel Four. Mm. Uh, he's done a lot of work on rate on Five Live, uh, but most of all, from my point of view, I always like the bloke because although he's a Palace fan and he, <laughs> and, he, and he and he claims not to care about Brighton, when we almost went bust twenty years ago, he put on a benefit gig to help save the club. Oh. <laughs> and I just thought, what a what a fantastic, yeah. what a decent human being yeah. this guy is. Um, so on the back of that, purely out of the blue, I, I just, a bit like you contacting me, I, I just messaged him on Twitter and said, um, any chance of having a chat about this? And I could tell from his first reaction, and, and rightly so, that he was going, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who, is this, who is this idiot? <laughs> um, and uh, we, we, we had... A meeting and to be fair you know he said right well we'll, we'll give it a go and it, you, you, could, you, could always, you could practically see the cogs in in the back of his mind going right nobody's gonna listen to this we'll run yeah. out of stories within three weeks yeah. and then we can just quietly forget that it ever happened <laughs> put it to one side yeah, a bit like some <laughs> bit like some of my ex-girlfriends you know <laughs> there's some things you you just say okay it, it, we, i knew it was a mistake at the time uh, there's a there's a novelty value involved um and uh so so you know you've got you've got to give both guy a huge amount of credit yeah. for coming up with the idea and, and guy does all the, the, the production issues but also kevin who uh as i've got sort of knowing we, yeah, we sort of work together now for around about a year uh he he is a fantastic human being yeah uh, I, I won't blow too much smoke up his backside but you know I, I know what he does for the local community and his his uh his values are values which i hugely admire mm. uh, as well as the fact that 
it's it's an absolute delight working with a professional writer and comedian and broadcaster because he brings a degree of professionalism to the show that I couldn't do, um, and and he's just naturally funny. You know, I, yeah. I I sit here and I'm I'm just giggling away, yeah, uh, listening to him um, as he he very very gently keeps me in my place and and takes the Mickey out of me nonstop. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've listened to the podcast now for about six months or so. And I think you used to that. She used to just like uh, almost like a match. Obviously, one of your Brighton fan, one of your Palace fan, that, that works yes. perfectly. And you think you just you just hit it off really well in terms of your personalities, and you both have the same idea for football and what have you. So it just it just works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we are we're, we're practically the same age, so mm-hmm. we we come from a. Irish migrant London upbringing in in sort of the sixties and seventies. So we, I think our our values have been shaped by that, um, mm. and we are both football romantics. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we want we want Macclesfield and Berry and Bolton and Charlton to save because we we both firmly take the view it's. It, it's not the size of the club; it's the size of the heart of the fans, which is mm. the same. And uh, and yeah, you know, I said I said to you earlier that we thought, well, we'd, we'd run out of stories within three weeks. And uh, <laughs> you know, we 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 went from one show a week. I think our, our first show lasted twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, uh, we're now putting out two shows a week. It's uh, an hour long each. Almost an hour long, um, and, and it takes me practically a day to research for each show. Wow. So yeah, it is dedication. Uh, well, it's, it's 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 not that. It's it's it, it is a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you know yourself, if it's a hobby, then you don't mind investing the time. Um, but I, I think increasingly we, we both feel we, we have a, we, we do have a sort of a sense of you know, a responsibility. And, and for somebody like me, who's who is by nature very irresponsible, um, I, I sort of have to. I, I feel that if, if I don't research the, the topics and the sh- and, and mm. the uh, properly, then I'm then I'm letting the I'm letting the, the listeners down. And, and to be fair, our listeners really keep us on our toes. Yeah. Yeah. If I if I pronounce something incorrectly, <laughs> if I get a number wrong. Um, anything I think, yeah i mean three weeks ago uh I, th- I think i'd said something about our growth raising money uh because they needed cash and they're, they're going they're raising it through shares and i felt it was a really good idea and the our growth fans no you got that wrong you're spreading bad you know, and, and then the club got in contact with me and so on uh very amicably yeah the fantastic people and we've, we've been invited up to our growth which which i've now found just how far away it is <laughs> Um, but uh, I, it, it is now my ambition that uh, yeah, should we get through this horrendous COVID mm. uh, period of life, uh, then that's certainly one of my objectives in the next uh, next year or so. Yeah, and you've obviously a couple of weeks ago you hit a million downloads on the show, which I think, guessing by what you said, you, you that would have never been a thought at all when starting the podcast. No, no, because I, I, I remember after about seven or eight shows uh guy said oh, we've had ten thousand downloads now and and we're all sort of high-fiving each other thinking it was yeah. a hell of an achievement um yeah the 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 the, the listenership is uh it, it is very it is very loyal um mm. it, is, it is pretty demanding as well which is good it keep it keeps us to uh keeps us on our toes yeah um but it makes it feel worthwhile 
because th there is a sense that you're bringing things to the attention of fans that they wouldn't necessarily be familiar with. Mm. And, you know, it, it's, we, we always say if, if you appear on the show once, that's actually normally a good thing. <laughs> if you're appearing on the show once a week or once a month, it's normally a sign of a bad thing. Uh, yeah, so that's why we are recently Macclesfield um, and, and, and we've been saying, I mean, I hate to think it's the, the, I told you so, but our, our view very much was the EFL were trying to get rid of Macclesfield town yeah. from the EFL because they knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and the club was going to go bust and they didn't want it to happen on their watch. And, eventually and it, and it took them you know it was a death of a thousand points deductions yeah. um eventually they get managed to get rid of that problem and of course what, what happened earlier this week is uh it is is, is is a local tragedy mm. but i think all football fans no, no football fan takes any pleasure from from this even even when it's your local right okay you get the occasional complete bozo yeah but you you can't have a rivalry unless you've got rivals yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, you know, you, I, I sometimes see, you know, you have your Newcastle fans saying, who would you have one in back in the Premier League? And they say Sunderland because it, it, it makes yeah. it that bit more you're emotionally invested in something like that, something that's so close to you. You want something to be able to be angry over, <laughs> I suppose. Like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's something that football does, does to us that non football fans, I suppose, wouldn't really understand. Yeah. And, and football. I think as football fans, and there are different types of football fans, I think we've got to be honest, but I think you and I both know what a true football fan is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if, if if you support my rival team, I want your team to lose every match. I, I want your, your centre forward to be involved in a sex scandal that's in the Sunday <laughs> papers. You know, I, yeah. I, I want your sponsor's logo to be put on inside out or, you know, yeah. on, on the shirts. Yeah, all of this. Anything, yeah, I, yeah, I wish you nothing but bad luck. Yeah. But I also know how much you love that club. And, and you know, certainly as, as, as a Brighton fan, I, I've got lots of mates who are Palace fans. Mm. And they are people who, on an individual basis, I've got nothing but respect for because you, you don't support Brighton or Crystal Palace for the glory. No, definitely, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's something you pick up when your your neighbour or your uncle or your dad, whoever it's going to be, or you know, and you go to that match at the age of seven. It doesn't matter whether it's Selhurst or you know, the Rico Stadium or, or Morecambe's ground. Yeah. And you have that first incredible moment, that sense of community, that sense of inclusivity that you are now a fan of that club and mm. you are one of the gang. Um, that will that will hopefully stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone it does. Everyone just it's something you feel at football that you just can't be matched anywhere else. No, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've said on more than one occasion. If if I listed out the top ten moments of my life, yeah, half of those are going to involve Brighton Hove Albion moments. Yeah, so and that's and that's and you know, I, I love my wife more than anything else in the world, and <laughs> you know, and and. She is the most important thing in my life, but Brighton's a very close second. But Brighton, Brighton's pretty, yeah, Brighton's not <laughs> far away. So, um, moving on to the, the here and now, obviously, we're, we're kind of a bit in limbo with the whole virus situation. We're going lockdown, we're not. Is would you say you've it's 
how would you, in a few words, how would you sum up like the past six months for you and your job and what have you? Um, the the last six months have been the busiest of my life. Mm. Um, but because there's no proper football stories, um, I'm, you know, I, I'm so I've done six hundred uh, media slots so far this year, and we're only halfway through September, so it's, yeah. Uh, uh, but that that again, you know, I, I, I have a responsibility working in education for, for engagement. Um, that the show has expanded and expanded, so that's that's kept me busy. Um, the, the book somehow people have been buying it, um, which is which is very you know it's fine from my point of view. It's good because the royalties from the book go to the Trussell Trust, which is yeah a fantastic food bank charity. So I'm you know, I'm sort of proud too that we've managed to raise a few quid for them, um, and. As there are less pure football stories, sort of mm. nonsense such as I cover, uh, tends to take on more more of an interest to people in the media, but also also to fans themselves, because mm. you, you are fearing about the existence of your club. You're seeing things happen uh, negatively. There's been issues in terms of furlough. There's yeah. been some of the fantastic activities undertaken by both football clubs but fan groups as well into showing that, that football clubs are part of the community that in 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 the main the vast majority of people who work within the football industry are fantastic people i mean i i teach for the league managers association i i've taught uh i've, I've taught you know Tony Adams and Joe Jordan and Paul Hart and Laurie Sanchez, yeah. and from my point of view, I go in there, you know, thinking, sure, I, I, I want to bring my autograph book. You know, the, the, the train <laughs> spotter in me that you know, I'm, I just say, I, I'm, I know that I'm a nerd. I know that, yeah, you know, you know these people, and I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of them. Mm. But actually, what, you, what, what I've come to realise is, of course, they're all husbands and fathers and dads. Yeah first and foremost and, and they just happen to work in a particular industry um and they are I, I cannot think of a single person who who i've met within the industry who's not been anything but but kind and fair and honest and, and generous uh, with sort of their comments um and and that's sort of kept kept me sort of busy now because i do some of that teaching online and things of that nature yeah um but yeah we're it, it, we're we're in we're in a challenging time within the industry. Mm. Uh, football cannot, in my view, be treated any better or any worse either than than other industries. So, you know, I'm, I'm 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 not party political, but when Matt Hancock started talking about footballers' salaries during the coronavirus, I think you're trying to use football here as a punching bag, and that's when I become yeah. very defensive of the industry. At the same time, it, it shouldn't be given privileges that are not given to a other sports or be other parts of the entertainment industry because professional sport is an entertainment definitely and you could probably name a number of high profile people or organizations that are making just as much as the football industry is if not more oh, who are strong. getting yeah. pointed out and yeah it's just just an easy target i suppose because because so much is you see so much of in the media you know footballers on six figure a week wages and it's just just an easy target for a lot of and journalists and and politicians and all that yeah 
Yeah, and I always say to people, Forrest Gump did not become a bad film because Tom Hanks earned £25 million from that film. Yeah. So so those people that say, oh, football's been ruined and I'm not going to watch it because of the money that players earn. So you, you, you don't go to football in respect of the money that people so, no. so don't 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 fall into this this narrative which is being peddled by non football people. It's being peddled by politicians and the mm. because football, as you say, they're an easy target because they tend come from a working class background in, in the vast majority of cases. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the likes of Patrick Bamford who who have been privately school educated are are in the minor very much in the minority compared to uh, other sections of society. Um they yes they do earn money at a young age um but that's only for the very, very elite yeah. um and small, small, small percentage in it that Exactly. Make. Yeah. If, if you if you if you talk to a uh, a twenty nine year old right back in League Two about how much money footballers earn, that they will give you a very patient look. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, and and these are people who who on average have a seven year career in 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 the profession that they love. Mm. Um, who every day that they go out to do their their job in terms of playing football, they're one tackle away from the end of the career. You know, if, if, yeah. if I, if, if I make a mistake in a lecture, in a calculation, the students just go, oh, Kieran, you idiot. Yeah. Um, or, or they've fallen asleep by that stage and haven't taken notice. If you score an own goal, if you, if you miss a sitter, you're going to get abuse on social media. From yeah. Thousands of, if not more people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's actually a, a, a tough, a tougher job than, than people realize. And mm. I've met, met one or two players who have left the industry who, who completely fallen out of love with the game. And uh, I suspect you and I, both are madly in love with the game. Yeah. That's that's why we do what we do. Um and and when you listen to their stories, it's 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 so, so sad. Yeah. And that, that's why I've got someone um I've got a big respect to someone like Marcus Rasswick, you know, he, he he's had plenty of pouches from the media and whatever and what he's done this year, you know, pretty much fighting against the government and standing up for people that wouldn't usually get a word in. It's it, it just it makes you proud to be you know, a football fan and to be obviously English as well. And it's, it's, it's stuff, it's play, people, players like that that, you know, really do put yep. the good in football. Yes, yes, they are. And as I said, yeah, the, the, the vast majority of them, there, there are, there's a far higher proportion of good people who are footballers yeah. than there are good people who are football club owners. 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very... Uh, and you go further up and it's it's not somewhere that many fans tend to be on the same page as I suppose but yeah so um yeah I've uh, enjoyed talking to you Kieran about pretty much anything everything I love I've always wanted to get you on because I absolutely love your podcast probably one of the main podcasts that uh, I listen to is on the Mondays and Thursdays that it just come out so yeah congratulations with the million uh, downloads and keep up that you and kevin keep up the good work well, th- well thanks very much and, and thanks for the invite and and good luck with your podcast as well yeah you know, it's uh, uh I, I think podcasting is is uh is a, is a means by which we as fans can start to to fight back mm. against the the perception of us as knuckle-dragging idiots <laughs> 100%, yeah and if anyone probably most people that are listening 
probably already know who you are, but if anyone wants to find you on social media or anything like that, where can they go? Um, well, we, we've, we've got the Price of Football podcast uh, or priceoffootball.com um, where, where I do and I will get around to writing it up again soon. Um, or you can find me at Kieran Maguire on uh, on Twitter, whereas uh, I've probably put up a spreadsheet or two uh, on <laughs> on a daily some, basis of, of, some of, of facts that you've never wanted to know. <laughs> some amusing stuff that's as well. what nerds you, do. You, you, your Wolves tweet the other day made me laugh. I had to retweet that about the, the Manscaped uh, sponsorship. That, that, made me, that made me laugh to myself. So you, you do put some, as well as your, your numbers, you put some very entertaining stuff up. So I'd urge anyone that yeah, isn't well, following well, fo- to... Fo- football, football is this crazy industry. Yeah. It, it, is, it is bizarre. Yeah, we... we Kev uh, Kevin always says that his favourite story is that of the club who uh, recruited a player's mum to become an academy scout on seven hundred grand a year. <laughs> what? Because that was that was a way of addressing FFP. Just quick, what, what what club was that? That, that was Derby County. Um, I, I, I I don't want to embarrass the player, no. and I don't want to embarrass <laughs> the player's mum, but his dad's name is Paul Ince. <laughs> wow, seven and chess. I'm gonna I'll let my mum know about that and see if she can wind in somewhere. Seven hundred grand for that. It's not too shabby, yeah. is it? <laughs> yep. So, so yeah. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, I hope everyone's enjoyed listening. Um, make sure you subscribe, follow, and all that necessary stuff to be notified when the next podcast goes live. And I'll catch you very soon.